Uh, well, we're going to be in um, Acts chapter 8 tonight. Um, I'm not going to go through Stephen's sermon. Um, and we also know the stoning of Paul. I've covered that. Uh, the stoning, uh, excuse me, the stoning of Stephen by, as Paul looked on and uh, encouraged it. Uh, he held the cloaks of all those. And I covered it a little bit last week. Uh, the, the sermon that Stephen gave, he started out waiting tables and then he had a chance to preach. And it was his last, first sermon and last sermon and they killed him. So persecutions happened and persecution is to the church what wind is to a seed. It spreads the church. We hate persecution, we hate str- trial, we hate struggle. Sometimes God puts us in difficult situations to move us. Um, and sometimes he puts us in difficult situations so we don't leave. Uh, I remember I would have left Fresno so quick, but there was nowhere to go. Uh, I had no money, had no direction. And, and so God does these things to, to move his people because we're stubborn. And uh, he's a shepherd, he knows how to do that, and he orders our steps and he has ways of bringing us to the end of our, our self-dependence and our dependence on the world to be dependent upon him. And he, he makes a way where there isn't a way. And, um, and so this is what's happened. And as a result of the persecution by Saul uh, breeding murderous threats and having uh, the orders to go and kill Christians and hunt them down, uh, they, the, the church spread and ends up that there's a revival going on in Samaria. It's exploding. Philip was one of the guys who was picked to wait tables, uh, along with Procurus and a number of others. And, um, and so Samaria is exploding. There's now well over 15,000 people. It was said uh, by church historians that when they would have a church meeting and they'd gather on the Lord's Day, 15,000 people would amass. The, the church is absolutely exploding. Uh, the temple's in struggle. And so the government you know, puts its boot down and the church spreads. And uh, so now they're out in Samaria where most Jews wouldn't go. They dislike Samaritans, uh, but there's revival going on there. And while Philip's in the middle of this revival and he's, he's serving and waiting tables, we're going to pick up and see how God uses him in, in the last portion of chapter 8. But before we do that, um, I want to kind of set the stage. Two things I want to share. One is um, I, I saw a story on, on black entertainment, and it was... Um, uh, they were interviewing Jerry Rice, and I like Jerry Rice. Uh, I, I I don't like the 49ers and free 49er fans. I'll contend with you. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Charger fan. My wife is a Niner fan. It, 25 years of marriage, we figured out how to work it out. I'm always rooting for the Niners unless they're playing the Chargers, and she roots for the Chargers and the Niners when they're playing the Chargers. Um, so, and that's because the Niners always win, and the Chargers. The, the, the most difficult thing in the world is to be a, a Charger fan. It's just heartbreaking. And I don't know why I haven't switched teams. But Jerry Rice was um, asked by this uh, interviewer. Uh, he went to one of the most obscure state uh, schools. He went to Mississippi, Mississippi Valley uh, State University. In, and I wrote down the name, uh, Ida Bena, Mississippi. And here's the greatest receiver in NFL history um, who ends up going to Mississippi Valley State University in Ida Bella, Mississippi. It is an obscure school. And he asked me, he said, how'd you end up at Mississippi Valley State University in Ida Bella, Mississippi? And he just said, well, all the schools recruited me, UCLA, USC, all the big schools recruited me. He said, but they were the only ones who came out to visit me. And he said, it touched my family, touched me, and I ended up going there. And he, he still succeeded, went into the NFL, had a stellar career. I don't think anyone's equaled his ability. And, and the point of it, and what I like about the story is that, you know, Jerry Rice made a decision based on someone's availability. They were there. Uh, I think some people are real cold, so we should probably just level out the air conditioning. If it's still blowing, just level it. I see icicles. I'm, I like it. Uh, I married my wife. She's like a frozen butterball turkey, and she always wants to snuggle. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a heat lamp, and so... That's why God put us together. So um, I just made, I just called my wife a turkey. No, I called her a dead frozen turkey. A butter ball. I got all that in there. Is she here? Thank God, no. Okay, praise the Lord. Edit that. You're all sworn to secrecy. <laughs> I, I've heard it said over and over again that God doesn't need your ability. He needs your availability. And, and so I want you to keep that in mind. And, and I, was, uh, 
I came back last night from Austin, Texas, and it was a great trip. We had the chance to speak. Um, I did an Issachar training where we're trying to get 1,000 pastors to run for office around the country. We're now over 300. Of the 1,400 pastors and their wives that attended this event in Austin, Texas, and Governor Abbott spoke, Governor Huckabee, uh, of the 1,400-plus people that were there, I think close to 800 stayed for the Issachar training. And uh, we, we may, if, if half of those folks, we may break the 500 mark. We've still got a lot left to do before 2016. And uh, our team is going to Louisiana because we had just done an Issachar training. We're going back to do campaign training for some of these pastors. So it's very exciting to see what's taking place and what's transpiring. So I had the chance to speak at that event. And then they asked me to uh, do um, a co-host uh, with Ken Graves, myself, and Senator Ted Cruz and it was a uh, dial-in, uh, and, and the invitation went out to 100,000 pastors across the United States. And we were calling for um, all the churches in America to call their senators and Congress uh, people and, and ask them uh, to defund Planned Parenthood uh, from the federal government. And so uh, with all these videos that are coming out and, and the atrocities that are being exposed, uh, it, if if these videos don't touch the conscience of America, we're dead. Uh, it, they're just awful. And granted, there isn't getting a lot of, you know, media play. Or, or it is on cable, but not so much on, on uh, just the general media. But these are just despicable and awful. And uh, so we did that. I got interviewed by Sinclair Network, which is larger than Fox News. They did a video, and then I did a CBN interview um, and they interviewed Ryan Hatcher. He's, he was a campaign manager for me in the assembly race that came to Christ. Don prayed with him to receive the Lord. Talked about how he came to Christ. He said he came down from Sacramento, and this is what he told CBN. It was on video. He said he came down from Sacramento, sent by the party, and uh, he was you know, hesitant to work with this freaky right-wing evangelical fundamentalist that they had depicted me to be. And he said within five minutes, I knew they were completely wrong. They had never taken a time to come down and visit this man. He said, who I was standing across from. And he just, it was really endearing. And then he said, I attended church. And he was there that first night. He said, my whole life changed. He said, I never felt a more loving congregation, so warm. He said, when I saw the folks working on the campaign, it was unlike any campaign I'd ever worked on. He's the premier campaign manager for the caucus in Sacramento. And, and he just said, I, I knew that my life would never be the same. And, uh, and then he said, I prayed with Don and received the Lord. And, and it was touching. And so it was, a, it, and as, it, as exciting as all that was, the highlight for me is there was a booth uh, outside the convention hall because uh, you get a lot of people out there kind of promoting their ministries. And there was a few books of the Gospel of John uh, from an evangelistic ministry. And I grabbed a handful of them, put them in my suitcase. And I carry on and I, I had a early boarding on Southwest, which is a company jet. And I, I got, <laughs> and I got on early and um, I, I found my favorite seat and I sat down, I like an aisle. And, uh, and as I sat down, I took two of the gospels of John and I, I put them in the pockets of the seats to my, my left. And I just, you know, saying, you know, Lord, you do this. You, you, I'm praying you would. And uh, I got one person to sit in the window seat because it wasn't a full flight. Every flight I was on was full. This one wasn't. And, and I'm glad because, I, I, as I thought about it later, if both of them pulled them out, I'd, it would be awkward. And so this person sits down, and um, I don't know, probably after takeoff, a few minutes into the flight, he's reaching in, pulls out the, the Southwest magazine, this book falls out. And he reaches down, picks it up. He starts thumbing through it, and I said, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> And he, he said, you know, Gospel of John. And I said, you a church goer? He goes, nah, I, I'm not into that. And, and I said, where are you coming from? And we just started a conversation. And, and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm a minister. And we and, uh, went through the whole thing. And I said, you know, I put that book there. <laughs> and, and we just had a really neat conversation. And I, I shared with him about the Lord. He didn't pray to receive Christ. But I, and I didn't sense the Lord telling me to pray with him to receive the Lord. Uh, there are times on Sundays where I, I won't throw out the net. I don't sense the Lord telling me to do that. Some folks say, you need to throw the net out every Sunday. and you gotta, Okay, well, you get a church and you do that. And, but I don't hear that from the Lord. Um, it just, it isn't, what, I, just, I don't know, I'm not wired that way. I don't sense, there are times where it's very clear God says to do it, and I do it. Um, and so 
And then I came home, and uh, John McCarthy, the Irish surfer, uh, he's staying with us. He came in just a few hours before I did. I got home late, and he was in bed by the time I got there. But this morning, we got up, and we were having uh, coffee together, and he was telling me uh, two of the folks that he, three of the folks he witnessed to on his plane flights. Um, First, he said he, he was in the airport in Shannon, and the Lord was telling him to go over and share with the lady behind the counter. And he, he just said, Lord, it is seven in the morning. I, I, I just, I, I don't want to bother her. She looks like she's busy. And he just said, the Lord was telling me to go. And went over and I sat down. And he said, and I was just kind of struggling, wanting to talk. And then all of a sudden behind her on the screen was the, um, uh, the Cliffs of Mower kind of promo of coming to visit this national heritage site. And and he has her turn. He says, that's the Cliffs of Moher. And she says, yes, it is. And, and he knew the part to have her turn and look because right after that, it was him surfing this big wave in the Cliffs of Moher. And he goes, that's me. And she goes, that's you. And she says, yeah. And he starts, he says, uh, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm going to America and I'm, uh, I'd, I'd like to, and he just started sharing the gospel with her and she was touched and, um, and kind of hit on some things in her life and ministered to her. And then he gets on a plane and he sits down to a guy that's from Belfast, an enormous giant of a man, but he's young. He's 20, 20, 21, 22. And his parents had separated. He had finished his engineering and, uh, degree and he was going to go visit his dad in Seattle, Washington. He was just distraught. And, and he gives him uh, a gospel and he starts to share with him. And the man was, he just said it was like fruit falling off a tree. And, and John had prayed that God would put someone next to him. And, and John is an evangelist. That's his heart. And then the last one is he, he took a flight from Philadelphia to, to LAX. And he says, what, what are the odds to go from Philadelphia to LAX and sit next to a woman from Belfast? And she had been drinking and, you know, and he just shared with her and, and, I do all this because I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that I hear the Lord tell me to talk to folks a lot. John's a little bit different. Steve Wilburn, if you've ever met him, every single person, the way God's wired him, every single person is, has a target on him. He just goes up and he just knows how to go right to the heart. Um, the way I evangelize is long term. I spend time with people, um, you know, trying to minister on the council and things of that sort. You build relationships. You see those opportunities like playing double dutch and you just want to see you're in and then you, you, see, you know, you start to, that's kind of how I see it. So uh, that, and I don't know how you do it. Maybe you've never done it. And maybe you've sensed the Lord say, open your mouth, go talk to that person. You haven't. Well, we're going to see this evening a guy by the name of Philip and, and the Lord told him. Now what he told him is, is so insane. And I want to know how he told him. I, I've been a, a Christian since my early 20s, if maybe even before that. Um, you know, I, it was kind of gradual for me, but I, I, I've been a minister for close to 25 years. I can't say that I have ever heard the audible voice of God. Rob, go do this. Every pastor I've spoken to, some of the most uh, on-fire Christians, strongest evangelists, I've been people of deep abiding faith that would blow us away very successful in life and, and uh, ministry. Um, I've never heard them tell me they've heard the audible voice of God. So what is it that God does? How does he speak to us? And, and I can tell you real clearly in my own life, it is a very distinct impression. It's almost like your chest is going to beat, your heart is going to beat out of your chest. Uh, you, 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 if you don't, you, you, you know you're going to do something wrong. Um, and, and God is prompting you. And I will also say this. Where there, is a, where, where there is a flaming heart, there will be a fiery tongue. Meaning that if there's somebody that needs to, that is longing to hear the gospel, God will burden you till you open your mouth. And you may be that source. I don't go to bed at night dreaming of millions of people falling off the cliff into hell. Maybe you do. Maybe you're burdened that way. But the Lord says our, his burden is light. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I, I'm not... I look at folks and, and I, I say, he's waiting for you. All creation speaks of the glory of God. Every man is without excuse. I'm available, Lord. Use me. I want to be that instrument. But I don't go around going, okay, who's the next person? I'm not wired that way. Good or bad, I'm not wired that way. And so tonight we're going to see a man that I don't necessarily think is wired that way. But he is obedient to one of the most... Uh, uh, strange calls uh, I think we're going to see in the scripture. So let's pick up with the text. We're going to start in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. 
Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now an angel did speak in this regard, and I, I don't know what I'd do if an angel spoke to me, although I'll share a little story later. He said, go the, uh, south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert. Now, this was not the common route. It was actually out of the way, and it was actually through very hazardous. There were a lot of robbers along this route. It wasn't a pleasant way to go. You only went there if you were desperate or you're trying to avoid checkpoints from the Roman garrisons. This was not the way people traveled. So he arose and went. Verse 27 is very important. He obeyed. He obeyed. Listen, it's not ability, it's availability. If God says go, you go. If your heart is beating out of your chest and you know what you're supposed to do, then do it. I don't care if you're scared or you don't have the words. God will give you the words. Just ask somebody how their day is going. We'll cover that in a minute. And behold, now the reason why it says and behold, this is, this is the, the Holy Spirit through inspiration of Luke saying, because he obeyed, behold. And I have to tell you something. When you obey, it will floor you, behold. And it'll dazzle you. It says, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And by the way, let me stop there for a moment. It wasn't until later in the 18th century that the term Ethiopia pertained to an area that we call Ethiopia today. The translation of Ethiopia meant an African. Somebody from Africa. It's not an Ethiopian, although we can say that um, with the Queen of Sheba and what had occurred in the African continent with the, the diaspora, with the spreading of the Jews, when the Babylonians exiled them and they went throughout the known world, there was a huge contingent that ended up in Africa. Now, where, we don't know. We're assuming Candace of Ethiopia or this Ethiopian area. We know um, that, that they, they, the uh, Coptic church in Ethiopia uh, declares that they have the Ark of the Covenant and it's hidden, although no one's ever seen it. And uh, they say that they're holding it in the treasury because Solomon gave it to the Queen of Sheba. It's never been proven. But we do know that Jews ended up there. We know that there are contingents of Jews in China that ended up there after the diaspora. They're all over the world. And so this man uh, is not just an African, and don't even use the term Ethiopian, use the term African. This man's not only an African, but he's an African of, of high status. He is of the nobility, and he's in charge of the treasury. So he's, he's got a, um, probably a very highly protected uh, chariot that he's traveling in. He's got an armed guard. He's carrying treasury with him. Uh, he, he carries the signet ring of the queen herself and, and all of the royalty. Uh, this man holds a very high position in office. It, it would the equivalent would be the Secretary of State or the Secretary of Homeland Security, one and the same. It, this, is, this is the idea. This is a very, very important official. And uh, he's charged with all the treasury, and they were wealthy. And he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. So that tells us that he's probably one of these exiled Jews. He's, uh, and as a matter of fact, they, they had uh, an airlift that came out of Africa. And, and if you go into Israel, and we're going to take that trip, and you've all seen it, and we're all going to take it together, you're going to see guards... Uh, with M16s, Israeli guards that are completely Ethiopian. And you're like, you're not Jewish, and, and they are Jewish. And, and they declared Jewish heritage through their um, uh, maternal lineage, which is you know, how you get a right of return. And they're there, and there's, there's thousands of them. Uh, and they're some of the most trustworthy in all the Israeli uh, Defense Force, the IDF. And so here you see one of these these African Jews, and that's the best way to describe it, not Ethiopian, African Jews. And he was returning. He was returning from having gone to the feast and there to worship. Now, let's just stop for a minute. He's in the desert because the scripture says, you know, the, the Holy Spirit, or, through the angel says, arise and go south along the road which goes down Jerusalem. God said, this is desert. So he's in the desert physically, and he's in the desert spiritually. This is a man who's just taken a, a, a return to Jerusalem. He's gone there to worship. He's going through the scrolls of Isaiah. And by the way, you don't own one of these scrolls unless you're wealthy. Um, if, if you see in some of the, the synagogues, when they bring the scrolls out or a new scroll is dedicated, these things, just to have them inscribed, and, and, and if you make a mistake, you have to throw the whole thing away. As a matter of fact, if you have the ability and you're called on by the scribe to be able to put a letter 
into uh, the scroll uh, and you make a mistake. And it's a high honor to be given that. It's usually on a bar mitzvah, one will be dedicated. And typically what you'll do is you'll put your hand on the scribe's hand so the mistake isn't made. And then technically it would be your letter that you got to write. And these are revered and they're thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I was talking to a man that helped in my campaign who paid for a scroll to be given to a synagogue. He's an Orthodox Jew and he told me the price of it. This man has his own scroll. And he's sitting there going through the scroll and he's going through Isaiah, which nowadays isn't even shared in a Jewish synagogue. And he's, he's not just going through a scroll, but he's going through, on this scroll, he's going through Isaiah 53. And, and I also wanted to add, imagine what his trip like was to Jerusalem. At great expense to himself, he's traveled the distance, he's gone to sacrifice an animal on this high holy day. He's probably brought his own animal with him. I've gone through this whole thing with you before because you remember when Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers? He says, uh, my father's house will be called a house of prayer and you've, called, you've turned it into a den of thieves and robbers. Remember that? And he, he knocked over the doves and everyone who was selling things. He taught, knocked over the tables of the money changers. He was livid. See, what had happened is people would travel from all over the world on key holy days and they would come from the diaspora. They would all descend and the, and the population of Jerusalem would swell dramatically, exponentially, trying to find a place to sleep was out of, just out of control. People were sleeping on top of you. They were everywhere. And so they would descend upon Jerusalem for the high holy days. And when they get there, imagine traveling from Africa, traveling from Rome. Here you are, you're a Jew that has been dispersed into Rome. At great expense to yourself, you take a boat, you bring your own lamb with you, one that you've brought from your flocks. It's beautiful. It's without blemish. You get in the line to go sacrifice your animals. You're in the line, you get to the front, and the high priest says, I'm sorry, this is not a, a temple-approved animal. You're going to have to go over and get one of our temple-approved animals. He said, this is, the, this is the finest animal. It comes from the finest stock. You don't know. It's not approved of the temple. You're going to have to go over there and get a temple-approved animal. So you've got to get out of this long line in the Middle Eastern sun as you've been waiting with thousands of other people. You get out of the line. You go over and stand in the line for the temple-approved animals. You get up to the temple-approved animals, and they're all mangy and s- sick-looking. And they say, uh, and you pull out your Roman drachma, your Roman money, and they say, I'm sorry, we don't take Roman money. We only take temple money because, you know, Gentile money is, is uh, defiled, and we only take temple money. Where do I get temple money? We have to go over to the money changers again, the temple money. So you take your Roman money, you go over to the temple, and they just screw you on the exchange. I don't know if that's the right word. They, they jip you on the exchange. Excuse me. They jip you on the exchange. And, and that's, this is what I meant by, okay. <laughs> just twist you and just take it all out of you. And you're looking, and you know that the regular exchange in Jerusalem is, is way better in every other booth, but you can only have temple money, and you're just looking, and you're saying, this is ridiculous. And you ask, well, how much is an animal? And they tell you, so you have to pull out even more money, and it's, it's 20 times the cost of what it would be to buy an animal anywhere else. And, and you, you don't have enough money, so you sell them your animal. And they rip you off on the animal. First, you have to exchange it, and then they give you back temple money, and it's, you know. And so you, you, they've taken your animal, they've given you, they've ripped you off on the exchange, you get back in the line, to go buy one of their temple-approved animals. When you get into the line to buy your temple-approved animal, you see your animal in the pen. <laughs> and it's far more expensive, and, and you, you just throw out all your money. Finally, you get the, your animal back, and you get back in the line with their little temple stamp on it. You walk up, and they let you in, and they sacrifice your animal, and you, you, you look around, and you're, you're just empty inside. And you're just thinking... What was the point of this? I traveled, I came to meet God, I heard it, the Shekinah glory was between the seraphim and the holy of holies, a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, and uh, I saw the smoke, but um, they could have just manufactured that. All I know is nothing changed in my heart. And I'm bitter, and there's no God of mercy, no God of grace here. This is, this is a racket. And so he's back in the chariot, he's going back to Africa, disillusioned, upset, trying to find some sort of solace in the words that he's read, and he's looking, and God is touched his heart, and here he is not only in a, in a physical desert, he's in a spiritual desert. In the midst of this physical desert and spiritual desert, there's no water anywhere. He's thirsty, he's tired, he's opening this up, and he's trying to, to, to touch his thirst with the word, his, his spiritual thirst. And as he's trying to, to satiate his spiritual thirst, he's sitting in this chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet, Then the spirit, at that moment, the spirit said to Philip, now, not an audible voice, it was the Spirit. I, I imagine it was an impression. Philip is walking in the desert. Now, when, when it says, the, Holy, the, the angel said, arise and go south along the road, which is desert, and, and it says he arose and went, and behold, Philip could have easily said, I, why am I going to the desert? And, and you, want me to go, you want me to go down, you, you, you want me to go down along the south road to Gaza? 
There's a better route. And you know, there's a, there's a revival going on in Samaria. Why do I want to go here? And he wasn't whining, he wasn't complaining. He rose and went, and behold. And while he's walking in the desert going, okay, we're here. What are we doing? And there's just buzzards flying over him. He's down to his last thing of water, and he's just, I'm not, he's tired, he's sweating, and it's hard. He's probably down to his last beef jerky. He's just, he's got nothing left, and he's just wondering, why? And then all of a sudden, the Spirit impressed upon his heart as he sees this lavish chariot rolling along the desert on its way to Africa. And he looks, and he has to just rub his eyes. It's probably glistening with all the gold or, you know, ornament on it. And he's like, what is a limo with tinted windows, you know, doing, you know, here in Victorville? I, I, you know, or better yet, what is the presidential limousine doing in Victorville? And there's nobody around on, you know, coming from the east side of the back of the Sierras, you know. Barstow, or I, there's got to be a better one. What's a you know like needles? That's 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 good right there. People in needles to beat the heat, they go to hell. It's a, that's how hot it is. So so they see this you know he's, he's this presidential limousine and needles, and surrounded are secret service agents and you know just keeping a vigilant eye and and the Holy Spirit says to Philip. Go near and overtake this chariot. It, it's going at a good clip. And he's tired, so he's got to run in the desert. He's got to run in the desert, right? So he's sweating, running. He's probably got his, you know, robe up. He's tied it. He's trying to gain on this thing and surrounded her guards and, you know, tinted windows and driving along Secret Service, you know, walking around. And that's, this is what it'd be. It'd be like walking in Washington, seeing Secret Service and just walking up and tapping on the window and none of them see you. None of them arrest you, throw you down, handcuff you, zip tie, beat you. They don't do any of that. And he, he runs to overtake the chariot. And so Philip ran and he heard the man as he approaches the chariot. He hears the man reading Isaiah. He re, he's reading verses 7 and 8. Uh, and, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? That's a really good way to start a conversation. Hey! I was just, I was just wondering. I was, I was just running. I do that a lot here in the desert. And uh, just going for my mid-afternoon run uh, when the sun's at its uh, highest point. Uh, can you slow it down just a bit? Uh, I heard you reading because this is the route I take. And uh, uh, do you know what you're reading? And you can imagine the Ethiopian going, what? Where did, how, why isn't he dead? Who hasn't shot him yet? And he's running along just asking him, do you, do you understand what you're reading? And his heart is so dry. And he was looking at this just, what does this mean? What does it mean? And what he's reading is, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before it shears is silent, so he opened on his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life was taken from the earth? You can imagine, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb before the shearer is silent. He opened on his mouth. He, he was watching his lamb that he brought get chopped up. And he's thinking, what was the point? He was just silent. The lamb didn't know what was going to happen to him. They cut it up and bled it. And I, I'm, I'm wondering what the point of it was. What was the whole, I don't get it. I don't get this religion thing. I'm trying. I want to know God. I want to reconnect with him. By the, word, by the way, religion, the word is a Latin word, uh, relungare. It means to relink, to reconnect with God. So when people say, well, I don't believe in religion. I believe in a relationship. It's, okay, that's a really neat little clip. And I get what you're saying. But truly, it's man trying to reconnect with God. And, and there's, 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 there's two ways to reconnect with God. There's man's way and God's way. Man's way is, you know, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, I'm going to crawl over broken glass or I'm going to, you know, crucify myself at some sort of feast or uh, I'm, I'm going to fast for a thousand days. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to chant a mantra or try to, oh, until I get into the, oh, the universe, I'm gonna, I, whatever it is, you know, I, I, and, and that's man and I'm going to obey all the rules. I'm not going to drink, smoke or chew or hang around with those who do. I'm going to do everything I can to, you know, and, and God will speak to me if I... And then there's God's way. 
See, man can never get to God, but God comes to man. And, and man's religion, there, there isn't a bigger stick. I've said this, there isn't a bigger stick to hit someone over the head with than, than God, to get money out of them. It, it is a lucrative business. And people know how to play it too. They just, they, they, they know how to just, just say the right thing and, and do what they got to do to get what they want. And they play the church. And, and he is so disgusted by it. I remember sitting in a church and watching him pass an offering. And I remember they got, they passed the offering. And they said, it's not enough. We're going to pass it again. The, the one church I did work at, uh, by the time we got there, the church had bellied up and they were going to be written up in the newspaper uh, for embezzling funds. And Calvary Chapel came and, you know, paid all the funds back. And these these men and women who were elderly to invest in the church uh, guaranteed a return and they spent the principal. And, and these this was their retirement and they were in rest homes. And Calvary Chapel came in and paid it all off and we took the church and the church you know, it was, it was this big fanfare and it dwindled down to maybe 300 people by the time. It was a church that at one time had 3,000 and down to 300. Some people sat in the balcony, some people sat below. And when Don said, hey, why don't you guys out on the balcony come down? We'll just sit in this little center. My father built these pews. I'm never coming back to this church again. And so the people up and they never came. So he, his first couple Sundays, he preached the church even smaller. And, um, and the church was in disarray. People were running up and down the aisles with flags and screaming and laughing in the spirit. And, and it was just in chaos. And it just, it'd been ripped off by every charlatan that came through. Morris Cirillo had come through and milked it and every other event, they'd all milked it. And this cow was dead. And they knew nothing of the word. And it was tragic. And I remember they had this enormous safe in the office. And, and the safe is like a bank safe. And you're like, and you go in, it's just Empty. But in there was one bag, and Lauren Johnson let me go in there. He was the ministry pastor at the time, and he goes, here. And he throws me the bag, and he goes, that's what's left from the old church. And I go, what is it? He goes, this is when they were milking it so much that they said, look, we will not make payment unless you people start giving some jewelry. And so they started taking off jewelry, and, and you open up the bag, and he pours it out, and it's all fake jewelry. Everyone's like, oh, I'm in, praise God, this is, uh, and then they're all, uh, and it was all fake. And he's just pouring it out, it's all on the table. And it, it saddened me, because it was all about money. And the people that were crushed by that never came back to church. And here's a man who has witnessed the, the atrocity of man's religion and has been milked in every way, shape, and form, and God brings him to the passage where he can envision the lamb that he'd just been ripped off with, and he's seeing this lamb that was silent to the slaughter, and this guy out of nowhere in the middle of the desert jogging comes up and says, um, do you understand what you're reading? And at that moment, he didn't, and his heart said, I was just asking for enlightenment, and you're here. How'd you get here? And he just looks at him, he says, how can I unless someone guides me? What he's saying is, would you help me? You can see that in the eye of somebody you share with. If you're willing to reach into their life and, and love on them and spend time with them, you're gonna see, they're going to tell you. I told you a story when I was up in Crescent City and I'm sitting with a woman and my car's getting worked on and, and uh, the brakes had given out and we were camping. So I had to sit there because we didn't have another car. So I'm sitting in the waiting room and her Geo Metro is right here, the little tiny Geo Metro. My Suburban, her car is blocking my Suburban. They're both on the blocks. They're changing my brakes. I don't know what they're doing to her car. And I sit down. It's the two of us in there and the Lord's just burdening my heart to talk to her. And I, I got to tell you, I didn't want to. I, I, could, I, I had assessed her completely. And you know what? I was completely right. She was so left of center and she looked like she was left of center. And politically, I knew we were on polar opposites. And she'd probably assess me the same way. And, and I knew what she did for a living. I knew what she did for a living. I could tell. I, I, just, I, I, I got that gift of discernment. I could tell what she did for a living. And the Lord's saying, talk to her. And so I, I said, uh, you getting your car worked on? What a stupid intro. Uh, yeah, I'm at a car dealership. I, no, I just come and read the paper in the lobby. 
And she says, yeah, I'm getting my Geo Metro worked on. I go, that's a, that's a tiny car. She goes, you know, I, I bought it because I'm concerned about the environment. And I'm like, I knew it. And, uh, and she says, I'm concerned about the environment. And, I, you know, I, I just, I'm, I, 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 I'm burdened by these, you know, suburban driving, you know, right-wingers that just pollute the, the environment. And I'm, I'm looking, and I'm, thank God my car's blocked. And, and I, I said, have you lived here long? She goes, no, I moved here from Modesto. And thank God. I go, oh, really? Because I like Modesto. I didn't say that. Because I, I don't want to say anything that will offend her. And, you know, she's already said a few things that will offend me. And I go, oh, you, you didn't like Modesto? Because now it's just filled with a bunch of Christian, right-wing, evangelical, fundamentalist suburbans everywhere. I mean, they don't give a flip about the environment. I, I taught there for years. I'm like, I knew you were a teacher. And, and she said, I, you know, and I retired from my teaching job, and, and I came here. I said, How, how'd you end up here? You have family? She goes, no. It's really actually an interesting story. She said, I opened up a map, and I saw these Indian heads in Northern California, you know, little Indian heads of the reservations. And I assumed, because there are Indian reservations, that it would be a spiritual area. And so I moved here. And I go, well, is it? I mean, she goes, oh, my God, they're a bunch of drunks. She says, it's been awful. And, and my daughter is imploding, and she's on drugs, and I'm living in a mobile home, and, and I just hate it. I go, so it didn't really work out for you spiritually? She said, no. I said, your daughter's not doing real well? And she goes, no. And I, I said, you know, there's a really neat organization I started to share with her, and I gave her some, some biblical counsel without telling her where it was from. And she's touched, and, and we're sharing, and she's asking me questions. She's choked up. And I kind of share with her my love talk that I had put together, and I'm going through that. And she's really touched by it. And she's, she's like visibly shaken. And they say, your car's done. And, and she's like, oh, she says, I have so enjoyed sitting with you. And she said, you know, you know everything about me. I've poured my life out, and you've been so sweet today. And I, you're just exactly what I needed, and I'm so grateful. And she says, I don't know anything about you. And I said, well... I said, I'm a right-wing evangelical minister, and her car's lowering, and I go, and that's my Suburban on the blocks. And we both started laughing hysterically. Now, I could have shut it off when she started to attack me, but listen, can you insult a dead man? I could care less if you're insulted. It's not about us. Just water off a duck's back. You have the chance to invest in someone's life. Now you want to correct them immediately. Oh, you are wrong. You're not going to get anywhere. You'll be right and all alone. And, and you know, one woman came into my office I shared last week. She came in, she, she said in, in her open, th- the three opening sentences, she insulted me 10 times. And she knew she was, she was trying to get under my skin. And I smiled with her, and I just water off a duck's back. I said, you've made 10 assumptions, and you've been wrong on every one of them. I said, I don't think you know me very well. Come on, let's, let's get to know each other. I, I just, you're fascinating. And we, she left and wrote me the nicest thank you letter the next day. And so when he says, how can I unless someone guides me? And, and Philip could have said, you're black. You're a Gentile. I'm in the, you know, he could have had every reason. He could have said, well, what don't you understand? And he asked Philip because he trusted him. You're here. God appointed you to be here for right now. I can sense I was praying and you're here. And you can see someone's heart broken. Last thing, I was in Austin. I'm coming across the street. I've gone down to the CVS to get some Advil. And I'm coming across the street to go back to the hotel. It is an oven outside. It is so hot. And I didn't bring any shorts or anything, and I've got my suit on because I'm going to speak later, and I'm, I'm walking. And there's this kid, and his face is so sunburned, and he is gaunt and shriveled. I don't give money to people. I just don't do it. And there I am, I'm right there next to him on the corner, and his lips are cracked and dried. And, uh, and I just, I reached in my pocket, I pulled out a 20. I said, you look like you've had a really rough day. He goes, Yeah. Yeah, it's been a rough day. And uh, his name was Stan. And I looked down at him. I said, hey, Stan. I go, is, is it short for him? He goes, well, Stanley. I go, I, you're, you're the young, first young person I met with that name. And uh, he was smiling. He goes, well, I like it. You know, my dad gave it to me. I'm a second one. And, and I said, uh, I said, you look thirsty. He goes, I am. I said, come on, let's, let's go in the coffee shop over here. Let me get you something to drink. And I said, this is for you. And he said, God bless you, thank you. 
I said, you're welcome. I said, Where, you, are you churchgoer, Stanley? He goes, yeah. I go to, and he said, Saint something. I go, you Catholic? He goes, I am. He says, well, I'm not really Catholic, but it's the, it, they have a, a, a center where I'm rehabilitating. I go, how's that going? He goes, I'm struggling. I go, you used today? He goes, yeah, I did. I said, okay, come on in. Let's sit down. You got to get some moisture in your body. You're, you're not doing well. And we sat down and I started to share with him and talk to him. And, and he ended up heading off. And he says, Rob, I'm going to pray for you. He says, you got a big speech today. And I go, yeah, thanks, Stanley. I said, I'm gonna be praying for you too, buddy. He could have just been an invisible person on the street. And the reason why I don't give people money is because when you give someone money, it's an excuse not to engage in their life. And you gotta sit down and spend time and hear the story. And so that's what Philip does. He gets up and he sits in with him. And now he's part of his life. And he says, the place in the scripture he read was this, and I read that to you. And um, verse 34, the eunuch answered Philip and and said, "Um, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of, of another man? Of another man or some other man? And by the way, he's a eunuch. Eunuch means... Uh, physically lost his reproductive ability, whether by birth or by sword. And typically they would put eunuchs so they wouldn't mess with a harem. And his his life is, he's he's got struggles. He, he's, I bet you he's got a story. Yeah? I, I bet you one thing, you got a family? <laughs> it's like, uh, getting your car fixed? Yeah. <laughs> That wouldn't be a real good way to open up a conversation. <laughs> he says, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, opened his mouth. By the way, that's how you share. You open your mouth. He opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now, let me tell you how you share. They don't want to hear about your eschatological views. They don't want to hear about your political views. They, they, let me correct that. They want to know about your political views or they don't need to know about your political views. They don't need to know about your, you know, your preferences of eschatology. They don't need to know about your preferences of old earth, young earth. Uh, they, they don't need to hear any of that. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. And the best way to tell them about Jesus, and there's three ways to do it. It's real simple. Here's how you give a testimony. Okay. And, and you go home tonight and you put it together. You, you give yourself a 30-second 30, 30 testimony you can do in an elevator. A three-minute testimony you can do while you're sitting on someone on a real quick, you know, whatever. Five-minute testimony and a 10-minute testimony. And, and, and it, it boils down to this. What my life was like before I met Jesus, how I met Jesus, and how my life has changed since having met Jesus. That's all you gotta do. That's sharing Christ, how he changed my life. If you don't have that testimony, you don't know the Lord. And, and so he goes through the scriptures and he preaches Jesus because the man, and find the connection point. You know, don't start talking about sailing if the guy didn't like it. Don't, don't talk about stuff that, and you can tell when someone's just like, and up to the right, they're like, it, don't irritate people. Don't just, you know, talk so much that you're just shooting them and the only time you you give them a chance to speak is when you're changing clips you know stop and and i'll tell you a really great great way to share your faith do a lot of listening and do active listening say uh have you understood what i've been sharing does that make sense to you and then they'll say something and repeat what they said and and say so what you're saying is you struggle with this this yeah okay so this is, would it be helpful to you if I explain some of that? Oh, that would be helpful. Now, if, if you're not listening and you're just trying to get a notch in your belt and you're just going through the four spiritual laws and you're just, and you just got to, you know, because you got to move on to the next guy, please avoid me. I don't want, I, just move along. But you, you, you sit down and you invest in somebody's life and you share with them the Lord and, and, and Philip preached Jesus to him.
Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water (laughs) in the desert. That's the Lord. Philip, go here, and then there will be water. And and, uh, there's the water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Because he probably talked about baptism. He'd been born of the, uh, you know, born of, of, of the Spirit and baptized in the Lord. And he says, well, is that sp- physical, spiritual? He probably went through all of it. He goes, okay, so there's a difference between, it's an outward expression of an inward commitment. Were you baptized? Yeah, I was baptized. And then they're, they're talking about it. He goes, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And at this moment, when he says that, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He doesn't say, you know what? We can't do this until we do the sinner's prayer. One thing John McCarthy said to me is he goes, I never tell anyone they're a sinner in Ireland because they've been raised to know it. They are ladled with guilt, Catholic guilt. He goes, I don't go there. They already know they're, they're sinners. They've been told that their whole life. I, I tell them of hope and, and a God who, who's merciful and gracious. And, but I will say this, uh, you know, if, if 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 you're and, and I forget the guy's name. He's an evangelist uh, with an Australian accent. Um, huh? No, Australian accent. No, he did the thing with Kirk Cameron, Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort, uh, his position on evangelism is he he, he wants you to to convict them of their sin. He wants you to show them that there's, you know, they, they don't want to be saved unless they know that they're dying. And, and he always shows them they've broken the laws and they've done all these things. For the most part, if you sit with somebody and you hear a brokenness or an area in their life that they're willing to open up to you, it's like a loose thread on a, on a sweater. You just pull that and the whole thing unravels. And they just open up to you. <laughs> and if you're genuinely compassionate, they'll, they'll, they'll engage with you. But if you're going, you know, have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever, you know? <laughs> and his point is, if you're flying in an airplane, you don't see a guy holding on to, to the life vest. You know, why are you holding on to the life vest? Because in case the plane goes down. Oh, there's one underneath your seat. I know, but I, I didn't get it when the plane goes down. And, and it looks stupid. But if you, if you say to the airplane, uh, number two engines out, number three engines out, and the last one, we're, we're going, uh, we're not going to make it prepare everybody because we're probably going to have to ditch in the water and people are pulling out those lifers and they're holding on to it because you know that's his concept, Ray Comfort, is that you're, you're going to crash, you need this. And um, I wrote, uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, uh, maybe I didn't fill it out, but let me see if it's here. Oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, oh, The person with cancer knows they're sick. The sinner doesn't always know they're a sinner. So it's hard to convince, uh, but it's hard to convince someone when they don't think they are. And and that's why I always use that the idea of uh, archer's term. The sin is the archer's term. You shoot the arrow, and where the arrow lands, and where the bullseye is, archers call it the sin distance. How far the arrow has fallen from perfection, and and you. You define the terms for them so they understand. So are you perfect? No, I'm not perfect. You don't have to go through, did you lie? Did you cheat? Did you steal? That, that's simple enough. Just kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. And here's what's cool. You can try to keep hitting the bullseye, but you'll never make it because God's perfect. And, and you'll never do it because nobody's perfect. But here's what God does. He moves the bullseye to where you are. Really? Yeah. He imputes his righteousness to you by faith. I want that. So make it simple. That's your 30-second presentation. Uh, okay, so... Here he is in a spiritual desert, and Philip just says to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. There's water. Not only will you satiate your soul, but there's water in the desert, and it's all there. And the water of the word has covered you, and so will that water out there, you know, with, with baptism. And he answered, and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He didn't say, I'm a sinner. I didn't, he didn't go through all that. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And, uh, you know, John Newton's testimony was, I'm a great sinner, and I trust in a great Savior. Um, I remember telling, uh, here's how I shared the Lord with my wife's grandmother and with my godmother. They were two very dear friends. Um, Both died of, one died of emphysema, the other died of cancer, lung cancer. They both smoked. 
I remember I was, I was hesitant because I had such a respect for this woman. She had been married to two admirals. She had survived wars, uh, the World War II. Her husband is, husbands had served in Korea, um, World War II. You know, one had been shot down and retrieved from the ocean and went back in to sink the Nagato, which is a command ship in Pearl Harbor. He died in a fire. She survived the fire. She had been through so much. She had, it, she had witnessed two burials of two husbands. She'd been widowed twice. And I went in to go talk to her. And I had prayed and I had prayed and I had prayed. And I had such a respect and it was almost a, a reverential fear to speak with Med. And I, and I knew that she had traveled all over the world. You could see mementos of everywhere she'd been. And I'd prayed and asked the Lord for wisdom on how to minister to her. And I walked into her room one day, not in her room, but in the study where she was. And she would stay up till two o'clock in the morning reading. She loved to read and and that was always her special time. And then she'd sleep in till about nine or 10 and always up till two in the morning. Well, Michelle would always go to bed early. So I went out into the, the study where she was. I said, I'm mad. I won't disturb you. And she goes, oh, it's okay. I, I enjoy the company. I said, okay. So I sat with her and, and she said, how was your day? Did you enjoy the beach? I said, I did. And I said, man, I, I've been wanting to talk to you about something. And she, she takes her glass off. She puts them down. She says, what's that, Rob? I said, man, you, you know that I'm in the ministry. And she said, yes, I do. And I said, well, I know you've been diagnosed with emphysema and you're sick. And, uh, you know, that's debilitating and it's, it's not going to be cured unless there's a miracle. And I said, and I know you ponder these things, but I, I just, I'm looking around your house and I marvel at everywhere you've ever traveled. And I kind of started the conversation with some of the places she traveled and she would she would go off on a rabbit trail and talk about some of these places. And I'd let her go and then I'd bring her back in. And, and I, said, I said, Med, when you traveled to all these countries, how did you get in? And she said, I had a passport. I said, I know, but what did you need in your passport? She said, well, you have to get a visa for certain countries. I said, so you had to, you had to have your passport stamped with a visa. And she said, yeah. And I said, well, Med, did you ever work through travel agents? She said, I did. I said, you don't need them now with the internet and everything. I said, yeah, it seems to be changing. I said, well, I want you to look at me as your heavenly travel agent. And, and whether it's emphysema or whatever happens and you've contemplated passing, you're going to need a visa for where you're going. And I said, and Jesus is that visa, man. I said, you, you got to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God that, to be saved, to have that visa stamped and you could just see all the lights go on, and she got it. And I remember sharing the exact same thing with her best friend, Lois Early, my godmother, and, and, she, and I said, do you want that, Lois? And she says, I do. I said, well, then let's pray. And we did a little simple prayer. My mother was there. My mother was sobbing. So you just figure out ways to minister. We're almost finished. Let's, let's get through the end of the text. Um, he says, I believe that, that, that Jesus... Christ is the Son of God. And by the way, Jesus, as God saves, uh, Joshua, it means God saves. And Christ is his title, not his last name. Christ means Messiah. All right? We got that? And Son of God was all written in Isaiah, so he knew what it meant. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now this is where it gets super trippy. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. So he comes up out of the water. He's like, Philip? <laughs> and Philip's like, where'd he go? And Philip's like, where am I? Uh, that's trippy. I've heard uh, Chuck Smith tell stories before he passed about you know, a guy, a hitchhiker during the Jesus movement, getting in the car and sharing the Lord with two hippies. And then they turned to say thank you as they prayed to receive the Lord and he's not there anymore. And uh, they're like, whoa. I haven't verified it, but you know. I remember one time I met a guy. Um, it was pouring rain. It was in Redlands, California, and I was a salesman. And every time I went into one of these stores, I'd have my brown sale case, and I'd have to go in and meet with the buyers. I'm walking into this food store, and it's in a real bad part. It actually wasn't Redlands. It was in um, oh, Highland, up near the foothills. And it was, it was pretty depressed. I'm walking in and the parking lot's all chewed up and the store's dilapidated and, and I have to make the call and 
And I see this guy by a payphone, and he is just worked. He just looks miserable. And the rain's pouring, and he's shivering. And, and maybe, I'm, I don't think I'm callous, but I, I just have this thing where it just wouldn't, and as I'm walking, it's like the Lord drew me. And I go, how you doing? And, and we start a conversation. I go, what's your name? He goes, it's Woody. I go, what, are you hungry? He goes, yeah, I am. And uh, I said, well, you know, let's go get a bite to eat. Let me go do this real quick. We'll get a bite to eat. And he said, I went in, I came out, and he's still shivering. I put him in my car. We drive over, and he stunk. We get in the, I don't know if it was a Denny's. I don't remember what it was, and he orders. And while he's eating, he reaches in, his teeth fell out. He goes, I lost another one. Two, two teeth came out. And I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry, Woody. And, and uh, he starts to share with me about the Lord. And I go, I go, Woody, I, I was going to share with you about the Lord. He goes, oh, I know, I know the Lord. He goes, how'd you end up like this? He goes, it's by choice. He says, I like the freedom. And, and he says, uh, I don't beg, but I always get my needs met. And, and, uh, and I said, well, I'll see you tomorrow. And, and when I came back, he wasn't there. I don't know if he died. I don't know what happened. But then, you know, a couple days later, and I was kind of a new believer. A couple days later, I'm reading the scripture. I think it was in Hebrews where it says you... You entertain angels unaware, and you're to be hospitable. And I, I think just by sharing and breaking bread with him, I had that chance with, with Woody. And he ministered to me, so it just made me think. And I, I sensed the presence of the Lord, so I was touched by it. Trippy things like that, they happen. I, I don't know how it occurred, and you can dismiss it, but I think it's pretty cool. And then verse 40, he, so he goes his way rejoicing. And, and think about this. I'll, I'll finish with this, and we have eight minutes. Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So he just keeps on this high preaching the gospel. But here's, here's where I want to kind of conclude our message tonight. Um, how, how, do you, how do you get, there's two things I want to say. How do you get to a place where, where God brings you into the presence of others to minister? And um, how, how do you know? And I would, I would just simply share with you uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of the very first passages I ever memored, uh, memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You know, you're going down to the desert and you're, you're going to Gaza. You're going through the desert. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So don't ask questions, just do it. And as you're trusting the Lord and you're leaning not on your own understanding and you're, you're acknowledging him, okay, Lord, I, I'm open to whatever you want to do, he'll do it. And, uh, and so, and then the last thing is the eunuch went down, or, uh, went, went to Africa, went uh, west to Africa, right? And, and, he, and he's rejoicing and he's saved. And he's seen the obedience of another man preaching the gospel, and he knows of the Lord. So we think, because we're prideful Western Europeans, not all of us, I mean, we all maybe have some Western European background. I, I only point this out because Western Europeans think we're the ones who evangelized Africa. Africans evangelized Africa. There were African Christians long before Europeans ever arrived. We like to think we're the ones who evangelize the known world, but there, were, there was a, a huge contingent of Christians already in existence in, uh, in Africa. Now, granted, Europeans went down there, and one of the reasons why Europeans went down there is because the slave trade was so atrocious. And, and uh, they, they built a, they called it the, the, the train to nowhere. It was the crazy train to nowhere. It went from Kenya all the way into the deepest part of Africa to Victoria Falls. And the reason why these businessmen built this is because they wanted to create trade so that these African nations wouldn't have to depend on the slave trade anymore. So Christians did their best, to, and, and that's why Uganda became the pearl of the British Empire and, until you know, they turned it over and Idi Amin imploded it. And, and you know, Europeans have done great things, but know this. Um, it, it, this, this eunuch was used of the Lord to develop Christianity in Africa. So that's it. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the inspiration that you've given us on just how to share with people uh, about you. 
And, and Lord, we don't need to be afraid because you haven't given us a spirit of fear. We don't have to be timid because you'll give us the words if we'll just open our mouth. We don't have to have the ability. We don't have to be eloquent and know everything. We just have to tell folks what our life was like before we knew you, how we met you, and how our life has changed. And, and we have to do a lot of listening and loving on people. And so, Lord, would you, would you just give a peace that would fall upon the congregation, all who are present, to have a natural joy in sharing and that they would actually, in the course of their day, say, God, I, I, I'm ready. Where, where do you want me to go today? Order my steps. I trust you. Um, would you burden my heart today for somebody? Would you speak to me? Would you impress upon me? Would you direct and guide me? And Lord, I, I want to live by faith to see the people you bring me into contact with. And I thank you, Lord, that you will. And you did that with Philip, and you can do it with us. And I'm grateful that you didn't use, you know, one of the apostles. You used an obscure guy who waited tables and, uh, and, and changed the, the continent of Africa. So, Lord, thank you for that. Bless us, we pray, according to your riches in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.